Uh, last week, we talked about revival, and this week, I want to pick up that theme again. And this time, we'll be talking about praying for revival. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you now to go with me to the book of 1 Kings chapter 18. Read for you a very interesting passage where we see the prophet Elijah praying a revival into existence. So let's look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. I read for you from verse 41 onwards. Okay, so if you have your Bibles, go with me. And Elijah said to Ahab, who was a, there was a wicked king, and he said to Ahab, go eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. And so Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel. He bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look towards the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back and look, go back and look. And the seventh time, the servant reported a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitched up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds, the wind rose, a heavy rain started falling and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord come on, came on Elijah and tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Lord, I pray that our eyes will be open to behold the truth of your word. And Lord, we pray that this word, spoken in simplicity, will stir up our heart's desire to see your will done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, it's, we know that it's your desire to see a church revive, to see people saved, and to see nations transformed. So we invite you, Lord Jesus, come and speak to us. God, you're already doing a work in our midst. We pray that you continue to do this work and make it deep so that in the end, when, we, when, when you turn us around, it is not just for a moment, but Lord, you do something so deep inside us that our values will be changed, that our perspectives will be shifted and strongholds can come down in our life and your people can be set free to be the people you want us to be. So we commit this time now to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The story of Elijah, when you study it, actually began in 1 Kings chapter 17, when Elijah actually confronted King Ahab and, and declared to him that because of the sins of Israel, there will be no rain in the land for the next three and a half years. And immediately after that, he became a target of destruction um, by King Ahab and, and the wicked Queen Jezebel. So what God did was, he took his prophet and hide him away in order to preserve him on one hand and also to prepare him to, become, to, to come again to confront King Ahab. But that took a period of about three and a half years. And for the next three and a half years, God actually prepared Elijah through a series of miracles which is recorded in 1 Kings chapter 17. And then in 1 Kings 18, when the time was right, Elijah reappeared again before King Ahab. And he had a showdown with the false prophets of Baal on top of Mount Carmel. Now, many of us are familiar with that story. And on Mount Carmel, God answered Elijah's prayer with fire and then used him to actually demolish the prophets of Baal. It was a powerful moment of divine judgment. And what follows 
was a glorious time of revival where we find the people of God on their faces crying out to the Lord, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. It was an amazing time when the people of God were revived once again and brought back. Their hearts were being summoned back to God and they were crying out, the Lord, He is God. Here you see the people of God consecrated and purified, right? And that's recorded for us in the first part of 1 Kings 18, where we see the, prof the false prophets were destroyed, the worship of Baal were torn down, and the people of God were restored. They were revived. And then what comes after is the passage that we just read. Now, what happened was this. Now that the fire of God has fallen, what, there was only one thing left to do, which is this. The prophet Elijah must now unlock the heavens and ask for rain. Is that right? The fire has fallen. Now the rain must come. See, judgment has taken place, but now blessings must be poured out. The same way that Elijah shut up the heavens three and a half years ago through prayer, he's now going to unlock the heavens again through prayer. Okay, and the passage that we just read, we have been given a glimpse into the prayer life of the prophet Elijah. Leonard Ravenhill, the great revivalist, used to say this, a man is no better than his prayer life. I like that statement. A man is no better than his prayer life. The greatest thing that anyone can do for God and for man is to pray. It is not the only thing, but it is the main thing. The great people of the earth today are the people who pray. And I'm not talking about the people who believe in prayer. I'm not talking about the people who teach on prayer. I'm not even talking about people who, who declare that we need to pray. But I'm talking about people who actually take time to pray. These are the greatest people on the earth today. Prayer is power. The time of prayer is a time of power. See, the, the, the place of prayer is a place of power. The person of prayer is a person of power. Through prayer, you read the Bible. Through prayer, the mouths of lions have been closed. All sorts of diseases have been healed. Wars have ceased. Demons have been expelled. Chains of bondages have fallen. The laws of nature itself has been changed. And that's why the devil would do anything and everything to stop you and I from praying. Because when we pray, he trembles. When we get on our knees, he flees. Because this is exactly what Elijah did. He, he went up on Mount Carmel, again, alone with God, and he began to pray. Question is this, how did Elijah pray? How did he pray? What kind of prayer did he pray that actually unlocked the heavens and caused rain to come? I want to outline for you four distinct dimensions of Elijah's prayer that I believe we are going to pray over the next two Fridays and we trust God to unlock the heavens and cause rain to fall. Now, here are four distinct dimensions and I want you to listen carefully so that you don't misunderstand me and misquote me on this one because um, we're going to be talking about things that are a little bit out there, okay? <laughs> Number one is this. I believe he prayed prophetic prayer. Prophetic prayer. If you look at verse 41, Elijah actually turned to Ahab, and this is what he said to Ahab. He said, go, eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. There's a sound of a heavy rain. How many of you know that this is actually a prophetic declaration? 
Why? Because the rain is not there yet. Are you with me? The rain was not there yet. But in the unseen realm, Elijah could hear the sound of rain by faith. And he declared it prophetically. It's like what Paul wrote in Romans 4, 17. He called the things that are not as though they were. It's, it's a prophetic declaration. In other words, it was a prophetic prayer. Now listen, what do I mean by prophetic prayer? So listen carefully to me. It's prophetic prayer. It's not just declaring whatever we want and then expect God to do it. It's not about naming and claiming whatever we desire. Prophetic prayer is a prayer that is based on the will of God. So how do I know what is the will of God? It is based on the Word of God. Hello? How do I know what is the will of God? This is the will of God. It is the Word of God. It's based on God's Word. And that is why I believe that there is power in praying the Word. We need to pray what the Word says. And in faith, we pray what is on the heart of God and we birth God's view on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because the revealed Word of God, here, the revealed Word of God is the express will of God. That's what it is. The revealed Word of God is the express will of God. And when we pray His Word, we pray His will. And how many of you agree? God will always keep His own Word. And Elijah said to Ahab, I hear the sound of rain coming. And I tell you, it's not easy for him to do that. You know why? Because he has not heard the sound of rain for three and a half years. He could literally forget what the sound of rain feels like or sounds like. But God already told Elijah, right? In 1 Kings 18 verse 1, God already told him, I will send rain on the land. And when faith is present to embrace the Word of God, then we can see the answer before it actually arrives. I hear the sound of rain coming. Elijah heard it before it came. He saw it before it actually arrives. And I want to declare to you this morning, I hear the sound of rain coming. I hear the sound of rain coming. And it's not because I'm hoping that it will happen, but I know it will happen. Not because I declare it, not because you declare it, but because I believe it is the will of God. I believe that it is always God's desire to see His church living with zeal and passion. I believe God always wanted the people walking in holiness and purity. How many of you amen that, right? I believe that God wants a church awakened to the Holy Spirit and walking in the fear of the Lord. This is the will of God. And I know that before Jesus comes again, there is going to be a massive harvest of souls. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations. Jesus said it himself in Matthew 24 verse 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all people groups, all nations, and then the end will come. This is the word of God and we are praying it into existence. 
the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to every people group before the end will come. Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10, paints a picture for us of what the outcome will be. Revelation 7, 9 to 10 says this, John said, After this I look, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. How many of you know this is the final outcome? That every people, tribe, nations and, and, and languages will be represented before the throne of God, worshipping our Lord Jesus as the Lamb of God. This is the will of God. And this is what we are praying for. And this is what we are birthing on earth as it is in heaven. This is the sound of rain that I am hearing in my spirit. Can you? Ten of you did. <laughs> How many will believe if this is what God says He will bring it to pass? Elijah, out of a clear blue sky, he declared, I hear the sound of heavy rain coming. Why? Because God said so. Can you? So if you can, then you know what will happen? You pray passionate prayer. That's number two. It was a prophetic prayer because it was based on what God wanted and what God already declared. Secondly, he prayed passionately. If you want to birth things on earth as it is in heaven, we've got to pray from here, from the heart. Elijah's prayer life is one that is marked with great intensity and passion. You read the James, you read books in the New Testament brief talking about the prayer life of Elijah and you know he was a man that prayed with great intensity and passion. He stood boldly before the prophets of Baal but he knelt humbly and prayed intensely in the presence of God on Mount Carmel. Elijah was not just having a quiet devotional time on Mount Carmel. He was actually involved, engaged in intense spiritual warfare. You read what happened in 1 Kings 18. He was travailing before God on behalf of his nation. He was birthing the purposes of God on earth as it is in heaven. He was in travail. He was birthing something. You know, I think every woman would, um, okay, not every woman, every mother will know, okay, that when you are giving birth, because not every woman is given birth, right? So every mother will know that when you are giving birth, it is no time to care about whether you look dignified or whether you sound polite. You're not going to say to your, to your pediatrician, or you're not going to say to your gynae, excuse me, excuse me, sorry, I'm sorry, I shouldn't be shouting and screaming. No, you scream. You let it out. Because you're, you're totally focused, man. Every mother knows this. You forget about everything and everyone else. You just focus in. All you want to do, get the baby out soon as possible, you know. And ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know this. This is what spiritual warfare is. It is buffing something in the spirit. Elijah was intense. He was passionate. He was totally engaged. He was fervent. He was loud. Is that okay with you? He was loud. If you've got problems with people praying loud, okay, i got news for you. Jesus was loud too. I found it in Hebrews 5, 7. You know, you know what the writer of Hebrews says? He says, During the, the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. 
Told you, right? Loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death and he was hurt for his, because of his reverent submission. Now, understand me. There is a place, I think, for quiet, silent, meditative prayer. I do that in my closet. There's a place for that. But when we come together in corporate prayer, and we are battling for the souls of men. When we are seeking to birth the destiny of a nation, we storm the gates of hell passionately. Hello. <laughs> we should. Because you are battling for the souls of men. Birthing the destiny of nations. Do you think the devil is just going to let, please carry on? I think there's going to be a battle. And we've got to fight it in the spiritual realm. And it takes intensity and passion. I remember, I understand this because I've been a soldier before. I, I know you don't believe me when you look at this body, but it's true. I've been a soldier for two and a half years, right? National service. And one of the first things they taught us in national service is learn how to be a soldier. See, so one of the first things we do was learn to take a bayonet, you attach it to the rifle, and then we are all asked, they put a straw man in front of us and everyone is asked to rush at this straw man. When you get there, you ch 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 they're supposed to do that. Okay, so we, we all, we had to role play. All of us have to do it. And when you are running there and doing this, you got to, they tell us, when you are going, rushing towards that, you got to shout at the top of your lungs, charge! You're supposed to do that. And we had to do that again and again and again until we get the right decibel. Really, and I never forget because I have one of my platoon mates. Uh, he's a little bit on the girly side, you know, a bit infeminate. I can never forget this. You know, when it came his turn, he put the banner on, and then he and then he go charge. He got confined for three weeks because he couldn't get his decibel up. He just couldn't do it. A poor fella, you know. I feel so sorry for him. But it was a necessary thing. We were trained to do that. So I like what Matthew 11, uh, verse 12. Jesus said this, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violent men take it by force. And, and Paul actually said in 2 Corinthians 10, 3, right? For though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, they're not the weapons of this world, but on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And therefore, we are talking here not about physical violence, we're talking about spiritual violence. That spiritually, we need to wrestle this from the hands of the evil one. And my friends, prayer is a spiritual invasion. There's nothing tame about it but it is passionate, fervent, intense. And when we pray warfare prayers, we raise our voice. We boldly declare the will of God. He literally scared the hell out of the demons. <laughs> and of course, we all know that in prayer, it is not the loudness, but it is the intensity. You know, it's not the decibel, but it's a depth of desire. Okay, it's not the volume that you, you have, it's the authority that you know you have. And, and Jesus was hurt, remember? Not because of his, just because he's loud, but because he was submissive, his reverent submission. And listen to this. You can be loud without intensity, but you cannot be intense and not be loud. Have you ever tried quarreling with a soft voice? 
I'm very angry with you, you know. <laughs> it's when you, I'm very angry with you, then the other side will go, you think I'm not angry with you? Ah? Uh, <laughs> then that's where you have a good, <laughs> but you say, I'm so angry with you, you know. <laughs> I don't know how to respond. You know, if my wife always do that to me, we will have no chorus at all. You know? <laughs> it's true. Uh, do you know why when we pray, you know when, now listen carefully to this. Do you know when I pray most passionately? It is when I'm most desperate. I'm not asking us to just, okay, let's just change our methodology and let's all shout louder. No, it's not the point. My point is this. You only really pray intensely when you're most desperate. The best prayers I heard are not the most eloquent. They are not the most coherent. They are the most desperate. They come from parents. Best prayers I heard come from parents that are crying out to God for their children who grew up in Sunday school, grew up in our youth group, but now have chosen to walk away from the truth, to walk away from the faith. Those parents, when they pray, I don't care what they say, you can hear it in their spirit. You can hear their desperation. That's the kind of prayer that can shake heaven and change the earth. They come from spouses who are desperately praying for their partners, who are dying from diseases and cancer and stuff like that. They come from families that are fragmented and fractured and hurting emotionally. And the kids are crying out, God, do something in my home. They come from the young man, the young woman who feels rejected, abandoned, lonely because they're struggling to try and fit into their social circles and, and find themselves rejected on the sideline all the time. They come from those who have made bad choices in life and they're now living with great regret and reaping the consequences of their action, wondering, God, is there a way out for me? Those prayers are really passionate prayers because it comes out of a heart that is desperate. A.J. Gordon said it right. We have authority. Here's the good news I have for you. We have authority to take back from the devil everything he's holding back. The chief way to do this is by prayer. And the cry that is ringing out today is Dick's great cry, take in Jesus' name. We take back what the devil has stolen. And that's passionate prayer. Pray prophetically. Pray the will of God. Pray passionately. And here's another one. Pray proactively. We need proactive prayer. Elijah said to his servant, as he was praying, he turned to the servant and said, go and look towards the sea. You know why? Because Elijah knew that if there's going to be rain, it's going to come from the Mediterranean. It's going to come from the, 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 where the sea is, to the west, where the Mediterranean is. And he's looking out for the answer to prayer. Which means this, Elijah didn't just pray, he was looking as well. Are you with me? Look, he was praying, but he was also looking. In the New Testament, Jesus would say, watch and pray. In other words, it's not just passive, but it is proactive, expectant prayer. Elijah knew the moment he prayed, God is already working. And he's looking for the outbreak. He's looking for the, the, that moment to come. One of the best ways I can illustrate it would be, if you, if you got one of those rechargeable batteries, 
It's already dried up. So what do you do? You take that battery, you hook it to a charger, right? And then you hook the charger to the mains and then you throw the switch. What do you expect to see? Explosion? No, you don't see anything. But does that mean that nothing is happening? Absolutely not. All the while, power is flowing from the mains to the charger to the battery, from the mains to the charger to the battery. And that battery is coming back to life. See, but in... The same thing with prayer. Sometimes we pray and we wonder where, we haven't seen it yet. We haven't seen the outcome. We haven't seen the breakthrough. But does that mean that nothing is happening? No. In the unseen realm, power is flowing. In the unseen realm, God is rearranging things. Things could be happening in the unseen realm. And we're not just praying. We are looking with expectancy to see what God will do. We are, just, we are praying, but at the same time, proactively moving, positioning ourselves for revival. You know, the, the one way I can think of it is there are two little girls, right, on their way to church. And they were walking along, going to church, and then they look at their watch, and they know they're going to be late. So one turned to the other, shall we pray that God will take us to church on time? The other one say, I got a better suggestion. Why don't we run and pray? <laughs> Why don't we run and pray? And I think that's correct. You see, and I think it is about praying and running at the same time, being proactive. You know, you have a need. You lost your job. Don't just pray for a job. Send out your resume. It's okay to do that, right? I've, 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 I'm going through a, a broken relationship. Pray about it. Yes, pray. Believe God to come and, and show up for you. At the same time, seek counseling. I think it's totally okay. We run and pray at the same time. Without God, we cannot. But without us, God will not. And together, Elijah prayed and he looked with expectation. Seven times, in fact, he keeps saying to the, to the, the servant, go and look, go, go back and see again, go back and see again, go back and see again. That's proactive praying. We pray prophetically, we pray passionately, we pray proactively. I'll give you one last one. It's persistent prayer. He prayed persistently. Seven times the servant returned and said, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. There's nothing there. But he, Elijah will not take no for an answer. He keeps saying to him, go back and look, go back and look, go back and look. If we want to get breakthroughs in prayer, there is a place for perseverance, for persistence. This is the posture we need in prayer, persistence. But listen carefully. Don't miss this, huh? Why should you and I persist in prayer? Why? Now, first and foremost, listen carefully. First and foremost, being persistent in prayer is not about wearing God out with our persistent asking. We're not like little kids, you know, trying to go to the mom and say, you know, please, mom, please, no, no, no ice cream before dinner. Please, mom, please. And then you wear your mom out until your mom had no choice. Okay, 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 have some. It's not the point. Okay, persistent praying is not... It's not tentative on this. It's not about wearing God out with our persistent asking. It is not about twisting God's arm. It is not about us paying the cost so that we can get the price. It is not about how we pray. It's about who we are praying to. Persistent prayer is, is anchored on this. It's not about how we pray. How many times we pray? It is about who we are praying to. And I'll tell you why. Jesus actually told us two parables on persistent prayer in the Gospel of Luke. I don't know if you ever noticed this. He, he told us two parables about persistent praying in the Gospel of Luke. One was found in Luke chapter 18. 
and it was about a persistent widow who came to an unjust judge to ask for justice. And even though the judge didn't care, he finally got up and he granted her justice based on her persistent asking. But, listen to me, that was not the main point of the parable. That parable was actually a parable of contrast. It's to contrast this unjust God or this unjust judge with our righteous judge who is Jesus. He is contrasting that. The unjust judge said in Luke 18, verse 4 and 5, he said, for some time he refused. But finally, the unjust judge said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, yet because of these widows keep bothering me, I will see that he gets justice so that she won't, she would, she won't eventually come and attack me. But what did the righteous judge say? You read, read Luke 18, verse 6 to 8. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and what? Quickly. They get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? How many of you know that is an amazing contrast? It's a contrast. If an unjust judge can be made to respond to a cry for justice, even though he could care less, how much more will our righteous judge respond quickly to our cry for justice? How much more? If only we have faith in this God of justice. That's the contrast. It's not about the persistence. It's about who this God is that you're coming to. And then he told us another parable um, in Luke chapter 11. It looks so similar. Sometimes we mix it up, but it's two different parables. This time in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells a story about a friend who went to his neighbor. Remember that, remember that parable? He went to his neighbor, knocked on his door to ask for bread because he got an unexpected visitor that came. Okay, but what did the neighbor do? The neighbor did not want to respond. Why? Because he's already in bed. He's already in his PJs. He didn't want to get up and entertain his, his neighbor. Okay, but finally, he did get up and give his neighbor what he needs. Why? Luke chapter 11. Don't miss this. Luke chapter 11 verse 18 in the New King James Version, it reads like this. I say to you, he will not rise and give to his, to his friend uh, because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The New King James translated the Greek word anania into persistence. It says because of his persistence that he got out and gave him what he needs. The King James Version used the word importunity. Okay? But the NIV used a completely different word, which I think is closer to the context. The NIV uses the word because of his boldness or because of his shameless audacity. I love this translation. Because of his shameless audacity. So you look at Luke 11, 8 now in the NIV. He says, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you, the give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, because of your boldness, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Within the context of Luke 11, I think this is closer to the truth. 
Again, uh, this is a parable of contrast. Jesus was contrasting the unwilling neighbour against our loving Heavenly Father. And He's saying this, if our unwilling neighbour can be persuaded to respond based on His shameless audacity to ask and keep asking, how much more will our loving Heavenly Father respond to us when we ask Him, seek Him and knock on His door? And that is why Jesus ended this whole parable with this principle in Luke eleven thirteen. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will our Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Are you with me? It is all, it's not about how we pray. It's not about how long you pray, how persistent you pray. It's about this God that you are praying to. And we are coming to a God of the how much more. He is here for us. We are not coming to an unjust judge. We are not coming to a, a reluctant neighbour. We are coming to a God of the how much more. And that is why I think we can come boldly to His throne of grace with shameless audacity, and we ask in Jesus' name. That's why we should dare to pray prophetically, passionately, proactively, and persistently. Elijah did that, and then in the seventh time, suddenly a little cloud, the size of a man's hand, began to appear over the horizon. And immediately, Elijah said, that's it. A little cloud is all he needed to see. It was evidence enough for him. We started this whole series on revival because I told you last week, because I have to do this 1972 video for Sword and Light. And that was when I really began, in the, through the course of making that video, I felt the stirring of the Lord to call us, you know, back again to a time of prayer. Uh, little did I know that God was already moving ahead of me. He already put in the hearts of our kinetic pastors this year to make revival their theme for the kinetic camp. And they got Pastor uh, Dr. Dan Mo to actually come and preach uh, for them. Little did I know that the staff team already created a prayer room in the office for staff members who want to fast and pray during their lunch hour. And I believe, my friends, that there is a little cloud rising in the horizon. I didn't expect that so many of you would feel the stirring in your heart to actually come and pray last Friday. And as I, said, I told you before, it's not an if-then thing. It's not about how hard we pray and then revival will happen. The fact that you're willing to come and pray, to me, revival is already happening. The rest is just an outcome. You know, really. God is already moving in our midst. There are healings and breakthroughs spontaneously happening in the midst of us. There is a stirring going on, even outside of us. There's a stirring going on in Ross Moy High School, where groups are beginning to gather to pray for their school. Last night, I heard that Kennedy Baptist is starting prayer groups as well amongst the students in school. Why not Willerton High? Hello. <laughs> Why not Kerry Baptist? Why not? There are prayer groups springing up in the marketplace. I get texts now from people in the marketplace telling me that in the offices, in the boardrooms, in the canteens, 
Believers are gathering to pray and asking God to come and do something in the marketplace. I don't know about you, but I believe that God is up to something. There's a divine setup to bring fresh breakthroughs in our city. A little hand as big as a, a, a little cloud as big as a man's hand is appearing over the horizon. And some of us here may be going through situations and circumstances where you personally need a breakthrough from the Lord. Sometimes we can feel so powerless and you wonder if your prayer will make a difference. I want to encourage you with this closing thought. I believe God is on the move. The Holy Spirit is moving on our behalf. Every one of us here, if you are a believer, you have been given delegated authority to pray on behalf of your family, your church, your community, your city, and the nations of the world. As parents, we can assert the authority of God to bind the works of the evil one in our homes. We have authority to do that. As workers, we can exert the authority of God in our workplaces. As residents in this city, we can exert the authority of God in our city. And through the power of the Holy Spirit resident within us, we can enforce God's will on earth as it is in heaven. And we can do it praying prophetically, passionately, proactively, persistently. Amen. And I think we must be ready to cry out to this God of the how much more. And he is here. We are not coming to an unwilling neighbor. We are not coming to an unjust judge. We are coming to the God of the how much more. And he is here for us this morning. Would you stand with me, please, this morning? In a few moments, I'm going to ask you to just don't leave until we finish. But um, I want to invite you to really come to that place where together, we can cry out to the Lord. And we're not just crying out. Some of you may have your own personal need and then I, I invite you to come and when we, we, we stand together with you to pray passionately, pray prophetically and believe God for that. But there are others of you, maybe you don't have a personal need, but you do know, you're thinking about your school, you're thinking about your campus, you're thinking about your workplaces and you're hungry to see God do something in our workplaces, in the marketplace. Why don't we come together and we cry out to God, God, come, pour out your spirit upon our city. Change my situation and my circumstances. I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into a time of worship and then trust God to come and move in our midst. Yeah. Amen. Father, I thank you that you are here in our midst. Thank you that you're stirring our hearts to believe you to come and move in our campuses, our schools, our workplaces, come and move in our city. Lord, we are in desperate need of a fresh move of your Holy Spirit. So come, Lord, stir up the hearts of your church, awaken your church, so that we, you can then use us to impact our society. And we ask you, Lord, this morning, come and speak to us and challenge us. As we come into your presence, as we come, Believing that you are here to, as we cry out to you in prayer. Come and move among us, Lord. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name.